this is a very special treat for the listeners because there wasn't a car- like a karaoke track I could find, and so I just uh, elected to uh, do a little acoustic set for Noah's first, uh, the first parody song of the Mason time when it's on the list. So, um, wow. yeah. So, so guest, uh, I think that you will like this. I think you'll recognize it, and I hope that uh, the rest of our fans do as well. So, uh, here we go. You know, he's he's the Chicago guy, I feel. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Run Chicago. Chicago Run Chicago. He's basically the mayor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the mayor, pretty much, of, you know. I've, I've never been to the loft, but, Jeff, if you're listening, please invite me to the loft. <laughs> I would love to hang out at the loft. Uh, folks, welcome to It's On The List with uh, Mason for the next couple of weeks here. Noah, as we, as you know, or if you're new, will learn today. Uh, Noah, my regular co-host, my my uh, real life friend, is currently on a long road trip from Portland, Oregon, through um, looping through the entire continental U.S. Uh, with the exception of places very north um, to get back to Los Angeles. Uh, right about now, today, when we're recording on Sunday, my last word is that he is somewhere in Idaho, I believe. Uh, it seems like he's having a good time there. Wish him well, wish him safety. I don't know where he will be when this episode drops and when he's listening to it on the road, but love you, buddy. Uh, we're going to see you soon. I'm going to see you soon, and I cannot wait. 
but while the funny baby is away, the funny talking dog will play. That is me. Uh, and so it is. Uh, it was my imperative to bring some guests on the show this week, and I wanted to kick things off with a very good, very long friend, long time friend of mine, uh, my very first roommate in the city in uh, the city of Chicago. Uh, you know him from Improv Club. <laughs> you know him from uh, the PH Comedy Theater's Dropping Science Team. All right, we're dropping all my college. We are dro- yeah, yeah, we're going way back here, brother. Uh, but you also know him because he is a very funny writer and comedian and performer in uh, pre-pandemic times around the city of Chicago. And I'm sure once things are opening up, you will see him on the stage. Uh, folks, I am so pleased and excited to have my very, 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 very good friend, uh, Max Lazarine, joining us on the show today. Let's get some snaps in the chat for Max. Thank you so much. I'm an, it's I- an honor. To be yeah, here. that's so nice of you to say. How you doing today, buddy? Oh, it's great. You know, today was really nice. Uh, I, you know, wanted to go out. I went by the lake for a little bit, met up with some friends that I hadn't seen. Nice. Some came back to town. So it was good to see them. And then, you know, and just, you know, now I'm here. And I picked up, you know, I'm finally going to start it, the Invincible Compodium. So, you know, I know what's <laughs> I'm not familiar. Wait, wait, I'm not familiar with that. Can you just... Invincible? Put on the camera quick? I'm no, I don't know what this is at all. So it's a new it's it's been like a comic book, you know, and but now it's on Amazon and I watched it and I thought it was so good. It's sort of like in the same vein as like the boys and the watchmen, you know, like what oh, do what God. is what are superheroes really up to? You know. <laughs> and what are superheroes really up to? A lot of in this a lot of eefed up shit. So you oh, know shit. But it's uh you know, I'm glad I picked that up. I've been itching to read that. Um, and so Are they that, like going up the down escalator or something? Like how fucked up we talking here? Um, you know, just uh, you know, taking out a whole sort of like Justice League, you know. Oh no, stuff like that <laughs> to graze lightly. Uh, but you know, so I got I got that today, and then I just you know, that's sort of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know now these. <laughs> it days, is. I, yeah, I, it's been a while since we've had a, a Chicago guest on the show um, or someone that's in the city, you know, proper. Usually we have, it's either Noah and I or someone that's currently in Los Angeles or elsewhere. Um, but it has been really nice the last couple of days. It has been like summer in the city, which has been really, really nice. I went down to, um, I took a very long kind of rambling um, Saturday yesterday. Yeah. It was like a, a swap, uh, kind of an open air, like kind of swap mart at in, uh, in Humboldt. Uh, oh, wow. Like in a, yeah, yeah. And then I uh, jumped on the day. I walked to Damon. Yeah. Got some tacos on the way and went up to Andersonville. Wow. That's where I was today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so I, I went up there with the intention of like going to uncharted books, getting a quick, like kind of just something to read on the beach and going to the beach. Yeah. Uh, but I heard Foster beach at least yesterday was fucking bumping. Uh, was that where you were today or where were yes, you? I went out. Yeah, how was it? Uh, it was pretty chill. I mean, like the thing is, is I think, you know, and it's, it looks like any moment the rain's going to hit. But that, yeah, like, yeah. I think there was, you know, it wasn't super sunny, so I just felt like a lot of people were, uh, you know, being cautious about it. But it was nice, sat on the pier for a little bit, just sort of nice. caught up. But, you know, uh, you know, what can you do these days? Yeah, besides? you know what I did You know what I did yesterday that, I've done, that I hadn't done for in, in, a, in a very good long while, let's go down to Grand Park because they turned the fountain on. Oh. Buckingham on, and it was beautiful. Were you there, there for it turning on? No, it was kind of um, so. Uh, Colin, my roommate, and I had really wanted to go to this this swap thing in uh, Humboldt, and uh, it was kind of between going to see it get turned on or going, so to speak, uh, yeah. and then going to or going to Humboldt. Um, 
and it was, uh, well, he you know, sat out because he was out late last night and just needed to take a little breather, especially with how hot fucking everything was. Uh, so I missed it getting turned on. And yeah. local, uh, local favorite uh, also, the, the, uh, maybe, maybe the real mayor of Chicago, who is uh, Tom Skilling, actually. No, all jokes aside, Tom Skilling, <laughs> weatherman for WGN 9 News, was the MC who flipped the, uh, the switch for the fountain. But no. this is getting really fucking inside baseball <laughs> So he does WGN. He doesn't do NBC because I had a I know I know you know I had a weird run in with the NBC weatherman. Oh, once. was Brent something or other? Yeah, he was just yeah. you know he found out I was a comedian and just told like me like funny things that he thought were funny and a lot of it is making is like being in public and making people like uncomfortable. Like he talks right. about being like you know he loves getting on a on a uh, pack train and pretending to like fart <laughs> like that or you know. Like, he was telling me that, and he said that, and, like, we talked to him, and he just, like, went, oh, one second, cool, and then he just left to go do the weather, and then came back to continue this fart story, and he was loving Wait, it. Wait, <laughs> he did, he put a pin in it, and, like, came back to the exact same, when was this? This was, uh, our friend Jess, like, when, I don't know, but she, like, hooked, Ricky was there. And oh, like, so this is a dick. Oh, this is a dick to the max thing. I remember this. They, not this, even of we college just, improv teams. Yeah, even and not even. Uh, but like, it was just we were laughing so hard because he just was like very stoked that we were comedians and thought we thought like him farting in public was like super funny. And yeah. it was like he was yeah. actually trying to shit and fart. Well, no, he just like he <laughs> thought it was just funny the idea of like making a scene as if you you did and like you know or just being like oh something like someone farted I don't know and then like man he was there's another man that was like sort of hunched over monitoring like all the weather and the computers and he turned around and he starts chiming in and turns out it's his son and they were just talking about you know <laughs> and then like and just out of nowhere he's deep in the story he went. Oh, I'll be right back. And just went out and we watched him give like the news perfectly. And then he came back. He was like, yeah, "Yeah, so my son and I, we like to sort of goof around like that and like make people uncomfortable. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Max is is from Minneapolis, which will become very important later in the show. Uh, But uh, loyal listeners will know that I'm from the city of Chicago. And one of my favorite things as a kid was just how many like, maybe maybe it was just two, maybe it was just NBC and, and ABC, but you could like go downtown like when the news was like broadcasting and watch the broadcasters like give the reports and if you were lucky they turned the camera around on the audience and maybe you could get some yeah and did the news do that up in Minneapolis or is this just like a um Chicago I f- thing I feel like if you if you want they never turn it I feel like at the big state fair all the news is set up at the state fair oh, so they're sure, reporting sure. so then you can go and you can sit in and I would always just go I know me and my friends and we would just sort of go slack jaw in the background and just like as it pans across from us, just like mouth open, totally whatever. And, you know, you can, I think you can come and go as you please, as long as like they're not recording. So it's like people going sure. in all day at all different gotcha. aspects. And, you know, at the same time, they have a, a miracle of birth at the Minnesota State Fair, which is just this big barn where all these different like farm animals are just like due to give birth. So if you wait around enough, like, you can see a baby calf get born. It's insane. But that's, like, most of the stories. And then to then just, like, and we're panning back and just, like, two shitty teenagers just, like, uh, you know, <laughs> was probably there, like, God dang it, you know. Uh, man, that, that sounds like, uh, speaking of families, folks, we're not just here to talk about state fairs, yeah. local news, and things like that. We have, as is our want on It's On The List, we have an album and a movie, and we're going to do a little switcheroo. We've done this a couple times. We're going to actually talk about the movie first. It's a Mason pick. 
uh, and then we will transition to talking about the um, the the music for this week, which was a uh, guest choice, a chef's choice, and I'm very excited to uh, talk about. But before we get there, uh, we are going to talk about Albert Brooks's 1979 debut feature, uh, the satire Real Life. Some snaps going. So uh, before we get into the discussion, Max, I want to know, do you have any history with Albert Brooks uh, or this movie in particular? Uh, truly, I have the only Albert Brooks I know, and I could be totally wrong. Does he do the voiceover in Reservoir Dogs? Is he like the radio DJ? Oh, I don't know. Actually, that's I, a good I could question. be totally wrong, and if so, we'll cut it out and we'll pretend. But I'm positive <laughs> like that's all I knew. Um, mm, so you weren't like a Finding Nemo kid? I've never seen, to this day, Finding Nemo. I've seen Finding Dory. Really? I've never seen Finding... I've seen a lot of... I'm like one of those people who like at a young age, I watched a lot of like the cult movies, you know, like... Sure. Like Pulp Fiction, all those, whatever, but I missed yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of like, you know, the movies I should have been watching, and I never watched Finding Nemo. Mm, uh, interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking up. I'm not getting any kind of verification that Albert Brooks is actually... Um, were you a Simpsons kid, though? Because he did a ton of guest voices on The Simpsons, especially in, like, the good seasons. I definitely... Um, he was uh, Hank Scorpio and You Only Move Twice. Uh, he was um, the motivational speaker in one of my favorite episodes, which is Bart's Inner Child. Um, that's curious, though. So it was really just... Finding Dory ahead of yeah. time. Oh, and what about Drive? Have you seen Drive? I haven't seen Drive. And it's Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright plays the whatever. That's it. And right, right, right. whom I also don't know. So, but yes. <laughs> that was, so my first impression of like Albert Brooks ever, really. Like, was this movie. Was this movie. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, then I will speak on my history with Albert Brooks in this movie in particular, I guess. So I have seen uh, Finding Nemo. I saw that in theaters, I believe, with my parents and my aunt when that came out in 2003. Um, and just, you know, because I was a weird kid, I had a very good head for just actors and facts. I just knew that Albert Brooks was the, uh, played the dad in Finding Nemo, played Marlin. Um, and I, so, you know, put a pin in that. Fast forward a couple years. Um, it's one of my birthdays or some kind of gift giving holiday. Um, and my mom hands me this DVD. Uh, of this movie called Defending Your Life, which stars Albert Brooks, uh, a movie that I actually adore, um, and, uh, that I adore, have grown to adore. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was like, Mom, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> okay. I watched like the first 15 minutes of that movie three times. Um, great movie, though. So it's in, it's in the Criterion Collection now, so that's a real you know return on investment for my mom in particular. But it wasn't until I got into uh, college that I knew, uh, kind of became more familiar with, uh, with his, his movies and this one in particular, uh, because real life, um, was, uh, a movie of the week on the, um, on the, the blog, the dissolve. It was the former writers for the AV club, like Scott Tobias, Tasha yeah. Robinson, Keith Phipps, Nathan Rabin. And it was just like kind of their space to write about whatever they wanted. A couple of contem- you know, contemporary reviews, a lot of like kind of weekly features and real life was one of them. And so, um, because of that, I, I I watched it at some point. I don't remember if I like rented it or downloaded it or whatever, but I, I watched it and I was just like over the moon. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was so uh, so funny. And um, so this was actually I think when we were living together in 2014 because I remember having the DVD um, on that bookshelf. The, actually, this bookshelf that I've yeah assumed. yeah in our in our living room. Um, and after that, it was just kind of like, I got Brooks fever, baby. I would yeah. watch him in anything. Uh, he's, he gets nominated for an Academy Award in, 
uh, broadcast news, which is not a, it's just a movie directed by James L. Brooks. No relation. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but he quickly became like a really uh, one of my favorite um, just kind of actors, filmmakers yeah. kind of guys. Um, and it's great that I have you on this episode because when I told Noah, the, my co-host, that we were going to be talking about real life, he's like, great, because I don't really like that movie at all. Wow. <laughs> um, but I haven't seen this movie in... Can't remember the last time I saw it, and I've been really eager to uh, revisit it, and especially for the show. And um, I guess I'll to get to the point of, um, I think I kind of spoiled it for myself by checking to see you log this movie on Letterboxd in your rating. But what did you think about this movie? First, first, <laughs> first impressions. Well, I mean, as you can tell. So, and I also realized this last night. My ratings on Letterboxd, like you know, I'm I'm not very. I give. I, I it's just like, for me, it's a heart or five stars. Or yeah, I just don't review. It's Who either shit? it's <laughs> either like I loved it, it was good, or I didn't like it. Like you know, I can yeah. never do a weird. You know, maybe as like a bit, I'll put like a half star. But like right. even then, it's you know those three. Uh, I loved it. Um, it was. I had a great time, uh, and I loved, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, even though, you know, he just passed away, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. Charles Grodin, like, mm-hmm. you know, you, I, I had never, like, really was, you know, familiar with his work, and I've, I've like, fallen in love with, like, you know. Yeah. I, you do get Grodin-pilled. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, and it is, like, I, I, yeah, I love the movie, and as Albert, you know, not being familiar with Albert Brooks, I, I, it was just so funny to have sort of this, you know, it was a meta, you know, it was like a movie happening inside a movie, Mm -hmm. and uh, with that comes, like, specific jokes you can make, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I love, you know, the first, like, really bit I laughed out loud was, you know, the first, like, dinner, and, you know, he's just trying (laughs) to keep it together, and Charles keeps sort of, like, looking at the camera, like, trying to, like, you know, everything's fine, and then... The helmet cameras. Yeah, now, I love those things. That was that was one of my uh, cover photos on it, on Facebook for a long time, was just Albert Brooks in that at an hour. Yeah. Um, because it's such a... Um, so, for those who don't know what this movie is, it's, it is it is kind of ahead of the curve in that it's, like, not just a, a, a mockumentary, like, a, a very yeah. early example of a mockumentary, but it's a very specific parody of the first reality TV show, um, which was the series uh, An American Family, which aired in the early 70s, over 12 weeks on PBS. Um, and because of, like, how specific it is, what I really glommed onto, like as a twenty-year-old or whatever, seeing it for the first time with not a lot of context for, you know, some other, like you know, just the rest of that movie was like how it's one of the only really good like parodies of reality TV yeah. show that you can that that's been made basically at least in, on a feature film um, level, um, and it's also just like this. It, it didn't it occur to me until watching it for this time. It's also just this like incredible study of like male narcissism. Yeah. It- <laughs> My favorite was just, you know, Albert was like, you know, we're really going to let them just be a family. But and he's playing himself yeah. in this movie, which is great. Which <laughs> or he's was, playing a character named Albert Brooks. Yeah, and like, and I think that's always fun to like go by yourself because then you can have fun with it. Like, you know, he's not really playing himself, but he's playing like a characterization of himself. So you can yeah. have more fun and you can see that. And he's sort of like, you know, sometimes you're like, he's a dick. Like, you know, the way he's, yeah. he's stressing like, no, this is 100% like, you know, nat it's like you know 100% they're just gonna be living their lives really naturally and everything Mm. but he 
by him stressing how like natural everything has to be on course, he's ruining everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has these lofty aspirations that he wants to like, you know, he's gonna win an Academy Award and maybe a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah. Or something. Uh, and same thing, like the father. It's so funny because like Charles. I think this is actually my first Charles Grodin performance that I can remember seeing, which is so funny because like he's. It's one of the few times in, in his movies that he's, like, or at least the ones that I'm familiar with him mostly in, that he's, like, playing his age. Yeah. Um, like, a couple of years earlier, you know, he's in The Heartbreak Kid. Uh, he's playing probably good maybe 10, 15 years younger. Same thing in Great Muppet Caper. Uh, and I guess, you know, in Midnight Run, he's kind of playing a middle-aged man, and he looks his age here. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's so Grodin, and he did just pass away, which is really unfortunate. I know. That we lost, and you just watched Midnight Run for the first time too. Yeah, um, off of which, you, you, your recommendation, which I'd like to put for the record, uh, Mason gives great recommendations. I've been going hard on Letterbox this year, even though like I have nothing interesting to say. So anytime you know I need something, I'll like shoot Mason you, a message. Comes through with fire. I should have, yeah, I should have taken your recommendation when I paid money to see Godzilla versus Kong, but that's a story for another yeah. podcast. Uh, in any case, Grodin, to get to the back of Grodin here, he is, I think he's so funny. I love just a really, just, just cracker dry performance, you know? Um, in, in, and in this too, because he's like, um, Brooks in, in this movie is very clearly playing somebody who has no idea how to maintain control over anything and wants desperately to come off like he's this like kind of smart, uh, in-control guy. Um, Grodin is just like so controlled and just like so like kind of coiled and anxious but will like not admit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's so funny to see him just like, um, like in that dinner scene like you were saying, just as it completely like falls apart uh, like his wife, who I, I forgot, I've, I wrote down the wife's name. Just let me look it up real quick. But when the wife is like miserable after the trip, and he's doing his best to like kind of, oh, we don't swear at the yeah. dinner table. Yeah, yeah. And he like sort of looks at the camera, like you know, that. And, and God, those at hours are so fucking funny too. And it's just like it's yeah, because <laughs> every now and then, like they will catch one, like a camera guy, like running in the back, yeah, and, they, and yeah, or they're just like hanging out back there. And you just have to realize that like. You know, probably they had, like, real film cameras that were shooting this thing. Yeah. But it's funny to think, like, in-universe that there's just, like, these two guys in the room that look like fucking, like, astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> like, no hands or anything just in that room for that. Uh, it's so it, it's so fucking funny. This is the thing, though. I love this movie so much, um, and I was watching it this morning that I was just, like, laughing and not really, like, writing down notes. But it's also just kind of, like, um, I, 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 it's kind of, like... Um, I'll get into this in, in a later section, but I think that there was like a, a um, you know, I think people were some people can want were, well, I don't want to uh, diagnose people or like pretend their their takes or whatever, but this is a very like kind of I think you have to be locked into and think that narcissistic men and them failing is really really funny. Oh, for um, sure. You know, um, it's a very specific I think like kind of tone that not a lot of people are. Um, Either used to because I was trying to think about this actually with 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 Colin when we were watching it like I can't really think uh, I was trying to come up with like a similar sort of situation because Brooks was a um, he was known before this for like a couple comedy albums and for making these very short like kind of pre like pre SNL digital short like short yeah he films. would do those films and I think like this was he's all, this came after like you know when did when did this movie come out uh, seventy nine yeah I think this might have been like his first 
obviously it was his first movie, but like his first big thing he did on his own after SNL, maybe. Yeah, he had a bit part in uh, Taxi Driver, which is always I always forget and is always a nice treat when I watch Taxi Driver. It's like, oh wait, Albert Brooks is in. <laughs> which wait, who is he in that? He's the um he is the guy that works at the senator's office. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, he has those big glasses. Apparently Martin Scorsese would just let him like would just like have him show off and and improvise basically, which is uh That's uh, awesome. that's you know, well, that's a win for improv. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they really need more wins. Uh <laughs> but this is like his first feature. Um and I think that he's like, and it's you know, since I've seen a lot of his later films, I think that it's a really, really strong debut, and he does like, um, kind of get a good sense of like his comedic. I, I, have you seen any of his like pre of his like SNL shorts? I, I have no familiarity with them. Not, I mean, probably, but I think like you know, when I really started getting nerdy about SNL when I was a kid, like, you know, those first seasons are groundbreaking and real, but, like, as a kid, sometimes you forget in, like, the, you know, for for us, SNL popped off with jizz in my pants, and to go right. back to some of those, sometimes you're like, where's the jizz in my pants? <laughs> like, you know, and so... It's kind of like seeing, like, cave paintings sometimes. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't bad, and it's like, you know, it's funny and whatever, but, like, to go back, sometimes it's, like, a little harder to watch and to be entertained, mm-hmm. and I was so young, so I think I tuned those out. You know, it was, like, why were the Muppets, you know, some sort of, like, Muppet thing happening? I would, like, fast-forward a lot of those to get... So <laughs> I don't think I ever watched any of them, and I, you know, now that I'm older and can appreciate it, I'll probably go back and watch them. Right, right, right. I'm curious, because it did... Like, I was reading uh, some contemporary reviews, and it does seem like this was... Um, well, I'll get into it in a little bit here, but it, it, it is interesting that um, he has this, like, kind of, he and his writers or, you know, whoever has this, like, just kind of, like, laser focus of just, like, on, like, human behavior, basically, and just, like, kind of the foibles of human behavior and is really, like, interested in seeing, like, different, like, kind of anxious people interact with each other, you know? Because it's not just um, Grodin and, and, and Brooks. Um, I, I, uh, Francis, um, let me look let me just get her name correct real quick because I was really taken aback and and uh, blown away by her performance. But um, the actor that plays the wife, her name is holy shit! I forgot they do this in alphabet in uh, Francis Lee McCain as Jeanette Yeager. Um, she's also known for uh, Gremlins, Footloose, Stand by Me, and Back to the Future. A bunch of couple dip, bit parts there. Um, I thought she was really tremendous, just as this like com- this. Uh, put upon an ignored woman <laughs> yeah who like um is trying to um hit on albert brooks who is completely uninterested in her <laughs> yeah um and, um and i uh he's completely uninterested in her there's also uh, another performance that i really 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 thought was uh hilarious was jay preston as dr ted cleary um oh like, wait like the kind the yeah, guy the who one. puts his hip face, and he's like, "I'm not allowed to." I I was no. Mad. That's the that's the um that's the uh uh the gynecologist. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The no, um, Jay Preston was the psychologist, like the one voice of reason in that yes. movie. The guy that um writes the writes the book at the end of uh, about the whole thing. Yeah, and they're all like um, reading or whatever. Or they're yeah. all, like, huddled around the newspaper. Yeah, he's the one that is completely unamused with the whole thing um, and, like, calls it danger and, like, calls him dangerous. Uh, Jay Preston, also known for being in A Few Good Men and the movie Body Heat. Uh, still alive. Hasn't worked in 2000, since 2006, though. He's in Clueless in uh, Air Force One, just a really st- uh, tremendous just character actor. Well, yeah, well, my favorite, I think one of my favorite scenes, uh, 
you know, in it, you know, and it, to go back was when, you know, I, I, you know, to go back to Charles Grodin, like him, mm-hmm. you know, where he goes and he has to operate on the horse. Yeah. And there's yeah. this moment where he, you can tell he's like nervous mm-hmm. and he like takes a, like a, like a, a model of like a horse and he's sort of lining it up <laughs> with like the horse to see if like, okay, so that's where I have to. And then yeah. like, <laughs> and, you know, and, and you can tell he's really getting nervous and obviously, you know, the horse like does not make it, which yeah. I didn't think was going to happen. I was like, for some reason I, and like, you know, he pulls him back into his office and he's like, you know. So are you gonna get? You're gonna get like more footage of me. Like this isn't gonna be the only. Yeah, footage. you're gonna take this out of the movie. Right? Yeah, or he's like, you'll see me like, you know, maybe if we go and like, you know, we can get some footage of me sort of giving back animal, you know, or whatever, and like sort of winning, because yeah. otherwise it's just like a terrible marketing like thing. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 we'll we'll get back, and you can tell like, you know, the whole time he's freaking out. And I think like you know to be, it really made me think like you know this movie is there tr- like a true like reality. Like a hundred percent reality show yeah. that like is yeah. you know one hundred percent reality. Right, it's always going to be like manufactured in some way. That's why I think it's so funny that like uh, I worked on a couple lines that I think were just like kind of, or a couple like just like quick lines that I think were just kind of you know more or less like what the the plot or the theme here is like basically, you know they say be yourself a lot. Uh, that's kind of like a, a recurring frame here, uh, refrain here, and also. Um, it's so funny, like to that point that you just brought up. They mentioned like a false reality or something. Yeah. Um, and every almost, you know, it's a, if this is a fiction film, of course, and even in the world of this fiction film, like everything is just so um, basically from top to bottom, everything is so manufactured. Um, especially the uh, especially the ending. <laughs> oh yeah. Of this movie, uh, which if you're not prepared for that ending, it really comes. It's it's so fun. It's it comes as a, such a great. Uh, surprise and just like kind of the perfect ending for this movie too yeah um but it is kind of about like you know it's it's a comedy about um you know uh not wanting to be yourself basically like putting up all these like kind of affectations and, and these kind of um like, it was so funny, um, like, early in the movie when they're showing, uh, you know, uh, when Brooks is kind of, like, taking the helm and showing, like, you know, how he has this, like, beautiful house, like, he owns yeah. his house across the street from the um, from the family and has all this, like, kind of nice furniture, and then the crew is staying in a travel. <laughs> yeah, and, like, he's like, we wanted to give the family time for me to settle in without bothering him, and they just roll up, and people are bringing this, like, luxury furniture in there. He's yeah. like, you know, yeah. it's beautiful. Well, the crew stayed in the travel lodge, you know. Exactly. And it's just a picture of it. They couldn't go there, which is such a funny yeah. joke, uh, yeah. you know, to be like, you know, it's not even worth showing in real life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just at some travel lodge. Yeah. And it, as the movie and the project goes on, it does start to like, um, both Brooks and the family start to like kind of, I think, get used to the footage being around. And then you've like, one of my favorite sequences comes like towards the end of the movie when they start to get like the... Uh, um, in the they, they get the, the the book that the that the um, psychiatrist writes, um, and then all of a sudden they start getting like hounded by the press or something, and actually start to like like get di- dive deep into their life because that was an interesting thing about like this American uh, the American Family PBS special is that it like so just so happened to coincide with like the worst year in this family, yeah, life, yeah. basically, or the worst six months or a very stressful six month period in this in this family's life. Um, and it's so funny that, like, 
it, it take it's a lot of it takes a lot of hubris to um you know if you're a director to want to try to like recreate that basically um and i think that the movie is really smartly like really smartly recognizes that um this is such a fool's errand to undertake a second time yeah and like you know there's that huge part you know after they've like given them time and they're wondering like you know they're getting hounded by the press do they want to do this and albert brooks is like i know they're going to come in here right now and they're going to say you know they're going to do it and we're going to keep going and we're going to continue to be real and they're going to be themselves and they walk in they're like we don't want to do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like the way it was like musically like the those like that dialogue i don't know you know that was i just laughed you know yeah, it's hard to talk about comedy because sometimes it's just like funny, you know. Sometimes, and this movie was just funny, you know. I don't, I, though, you know, it is a look at some stuff, but sometimes yeah. it's hard to be like, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. very. It is a very particular like. It is a very. It is pitched to a very particular like kind of um, kind of uh, uh, I guess frequency. Yeah, you know, it, um, it's. It is about as close into, you know, like a Todd Salon's kind of territory without just like full-blown just um, people being just full, the Todd Salon's and just like how like actively miserable people are. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but it's a very, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a movie that's like kind of a comedy about like just more, uh, I guess, just behavior and kind of human kind of quirks and foibles. And you kind of do have to like, this is going out straight to you, Noah Marger, have to put on some like big boy pants if you want to watch this movie. Oh, yeah. I feel. Um, but I don't think that it's like necessarily um, a, a an inaccessible movie. Um, and I think especially now that like reality television is so ubiquitous, I think that there is like it, it plays better now than it does fuck almost 50 years ago like yeah two years or whatever it is yeah i wonder you know as i've got you know i've got a roommate who loves reality television so it's always on and we always watch it uh, you know and like i feel this movie i appreciate it more just because i i've seen a lot versus yeah. i you know if they're basing it off of like this new thing of like wow we followed a family you know and they were mm. just themselves it's like you know we're used to rock of love baby <laughs> Hell yeah. we're used Hell to like yeah. you know all that stuff, you know, a whole different thing. So this was like tame, but yeah, I agree. It is pretty accessible. This movie. Gotcha. Uh, before we go into our next section here, do you have anything else you want to say about the movie? I just liked it a lot, and I, you know, hell yeah, I thought it was it was a goofy time, and like it was a great way to spend my Saturday evening. Yeah, alone. hell yeah. Uh, just kidding. Well. <laughs> I wasn't because I was living with the family. I felt like I was really there. Yeah, yeah, it is, and the, the the two kids in this, I think, are really just good, like, kind of 70s kids, you know, you got the older sister and the, kind of, uh, the bratty, clumsy younger brother. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really, I, I, I love this fucking movie. All right, so on the show, Max, uh, we have a section called, uh, Noe's Fast Facts. This is gonna be Macy's Fast Facts. Okay. Um, and these are some fast facts about the movie Real Life, um, and Albert Brooks as well. So, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, Albert Brooks was born Albert Lawrence Einstein into a showbiz family in Beverly Hills, California. His mother, Thelma Leeds, was a singer and actress, and Harry Einstein, his father, was a radio comedian who performed as Parky Arcus a radio, on radio personality Eddie Cantor's program. 
Uh, his brother is actually the late great Bob Einstein of Super Dave Armstrong, Arrested Development, and Curb Your Enthusiasm fame. Oh, his wow. other brother, yeah, his other brother Clifford, um, and his family are actually in the movie Real Life as the family that practiced the role reversal. So that got, the dad in that scene is Albert Brooks's um, brother, and that's his like um, family. Wow. Uh, yeah, uh, Brooks is a classmate at Beverly Hills High School of Richard Dreyfus and Rob Reiner. Uh, Brooks dropped out of, out of college after one year to focus on his comedy career, adopting the name Albert Brooks as, quote, the real Albert Einstein changed his name to sound more intelligent. His onstage persona, that of an egotistical, narcissistic, nervous comic, an ironic showbiz insider who punctured himself uh, before an audience, an audience by disassembling his mastery of comedic stagecraft, influenced other 70s postmodern comedians, including Steve Martin, Martin Mull, and Andy Kaufman. Uh, after two successful comedy albums, Comedy Minus One in 1973, and the Grammy nominated A Star is Bought in 1975, Brooks left the stand-up circuit to try his hand as a filmmaker. He had already made his first short film, The Famous Comedian School, a satiric short and an early example of the mockumentary subgenre that was aired in 1972 on the PBS show The Great American Dream Machine. Uh, in 1975, he joins uh, Saturday Night Live and fi- directed sh- six short films for that show's first season. Uh, in 1976, he appears in Taxi Driver. Scorsese, uh, director Martin Scorsese, allowed Brooks to improvise much of his dialogue. Brooks had landed the role after moving to Los Angeles to enter the film business. Moving on to now real life. <clears throat> uh, real life was Brooks' feature film directing debut, working from a script by Harry Shearer of the uh, Simpsons and Spinal Tap fame uh, and Monica McGowan Johnson. Uh, who uh, Monica McGowan Johnson uh, would co-write many of Brooks' subsequent films, including Lost in America, Modern Romance, and Mother, uh, all three of which I uh, am a big fan of and I think I could bring on the show if Noe would let me. Uh, McGowan, uh, McGowan Johnson unfortunately passed away in 2010, and I just wanted to give her a little shout-out to her and bless up to her career um, and her contributions to those films, and she was also a writer on uh, for three episodes of The Mary Tyler Moore Show and a writer and producer of The Vern and Shirley. Uh, Real Life is based on the PBS series An American Family, which was filmed for seven months in 1971 and ran for 12 weeks in winter and early spring 1973. It is often considered the first reality television series, including, quote, this is from the IMDb uh, plot synopsis here, an on-camera divorce demand from from wife Pat to her husband and the coming out of one of the children who was gay. As a first-time feature filmmaker, Albert Brooks was under a great deal of pressure to finish the film on budget because he would have been personally responsible for any uh, extra costs. During one particular difficult filming day, he sat feeling totally dejected, and Charles Grodin walked up to him and said, I have to leave it for. This totally ridiculous request was sufficient to cheer Brooks up. In fact, one of the reasons Albert Brooks wanted Charles Grodin uh, as the father was because of Charles uh, Grodin's work on Candid Camera. Brooks felt that Grodin would look like he wasn't acting because on the TV show he had to fool ordinary people into believing that he wasn't acting. The final scene took three days to film due to constant noise from planes flying overhead, uh, the soundstage uh, being near uh, the Van Nuys Airport. Uh, that's another thing. When I watched this movie for the first time, I all, since it was my first time seeing Charles Grodin, I kind of thought that he was actually a real guy that they got to be in this and not a, a, not a, a comedian and a great actor. Um, uh, Miss that guy. Uh, he gave us a lot of good work, though. Uh, so, reception for the film, if you could believe it, was all over the place. <laughs> oh, really? 
Uh, this is interesting, actually. Uh, notable champions were uh, New York Times film critic Janet Maslin, who wrote often very, who wrote the film was often very, uh, an often very funny assault on manners, movie making, and an allegedly eight, allegedly typical American family and everything its members hold dear. Its manner is deadpan and sly, so sly that some viewers may not find it comic at all. She conceded, though, that fans more pitched to Brooks' comic style would enjoy it. Similarly, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film three and a half out of four stars and wrote documentary filmmaking doesn't sound like the greatest subject to be satirized, but real life is full of undeniable laughs. Little did he know that would become a kind of a, a boutique kind of comedy genre in the next couple of, uh, in the next 15 years or so. But in any case, one notable detractor was Siskel's TV partner, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. In his one-star review... Eber complained that the film was a 10-minute gag stretched to feature length and that the film consisted of, quote, repetitive situations that end on a note of embarrassing hysteria. An idea is not enough for a movie. Characters have to be developed. Comic situations have to be set up before they can pay off. And the story should have a conclusion instead of a dead stop. Uh-huh. He was particularly disappointed by Brooks's performance in Acumen as a director, writing, quote, he stars, himse- he stars himself in an exercise in shameless... He stars himself in an exercise in shameless self-indulgence. The ending, with Brooks screaming hysterically about the failure of his movie within a movie, is physically and emotionally uncomfortable to sit through. It is never pleasant seeing someone look un- inadvertently pathetic. The irony of real life is that it fails as satire... Uh, it fails... The, I'm sorry. The irony of real life is that it fails as a satire on a film that fails by failing itself. I don't quite know what he's on there, uh, and it's kind of interesting that he was so... Um, dismissive of this movie uh the film took in a modest three hundred and sixty four thousand dollars at the box office um roughly a million uh and change in today's money the film currently has a 70 has a certified fresh 81 percent rating on rotten tomatoes with an 8.2 audience 82 percent audience score max how do you feel about those fast facts um you know my favorite as you can tell by my laughter was that i have to leave at four and that last yeah. review <laughs> Man, sometimes some reviews, I'm like, come on, just let people have fun, you know? Yeah. It didn't seem like Ebert was really into cringe comedy. Yeah. You know? It, it yeah. is like something, you know, some, I think, you know, there's the comedy that does sort of make you like, you know, it's funny, but you, you're not necessarily like, <laughs> you know, you're not giving a, that was a terrible yeah. laugh, but like a, you know, you're not really, you know, chuckling versus like, you know, yeah. it's like a funny situation and like, you're sort of cringing at that, and I, you know, yeah. and that only happens with real life. That does, oh. that does. Um, so uh, now we're going to go into our another segment on the show, uh, Max, which we call the uh, the Mercedes Valuable Player, named after, of course, Mercedes Ruel as Connie in the film Married to the Mob. Um, we give this award to an element of the film that uh, is exceptional or makes it exceptional in our eyes. Uh, it could be a performance, it could be a line of dialogue, it could be just be the general energy of the movie or something. Um, so, Max, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for the film, uh, Real Life? Um, I'm going to have to say it's the cameras. It's these insane cameras because throughout the movie, yeah, you know, you think you're having a good situation or like a funny situation, and then there's a little sprinkle of sugar, and you just see this freaky person in the background with this ridiculous, ugly helmet camera and like you can't, and like it sort of brings you back, you yeah. know. It's like, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's a reminder because sometimes you're like, okay, you forget, but then you, you know, when they're looking at the camera, you imagine them looking at these people in these big, you know, yeah. helmet yeah, cams. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, I I am so happy you said that because that's my Mercedes Valuable Player as yes. well as the Etenauer because yes. it's just it's not just you know it, it the the prop itself is so funny um, but they like they have the actors or the technicians or whoever like actually running around like they're not just like sitting dormant like they're running yeah people and it's so funny when there's just like some drama happening in this like cul-de-sac and you just see these like two guys holding these things running out <laughs> trying to get action um so that's that and uh would you uh recommend this movie a hundred percent i would recommend this movie hell yeah brother i am also going to give this a full recommend my highest recommend um go out and seek this in any way you can uh but that is albert brooks's real life folks we are right on track here and now we are going into the music section of the show today so max since this is your choice why don't you do a little previewing of the music section this week well, you know, I took an album that, like, I just sort of really appreciated recently. He's, he's, he is pulling. I'm pulling this out. I just got this box set. I spent money on a on a uh, a box set of these guys, and uh, you know, it came with that uh, the record that we're talking about on vinyl, like pressed. And I never really took the time to like look into it. And mm. really listen, and it's intense. Mm. So I'm yeah, very curious yeah. of what you're what you're gonna say because it's a <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah. It is. It is not. We were talking about it later. I don't know if it is. Uh, you can't just jump into it. Like you know what I mean. Right. Like right. and right. So, so what's the name of the album? It is uh, Land Speed Record by Husker Du, and it's truly yes. It is. My goodness, it's uh, it's a wild ride. It's pure amphetamine. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, and like, and I realized after I, I, you said we should do this one. I was like, huh, that's like sort of, that's a, that was like a, you know, that was a hard, you know, it's pretty jarring. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did prepare me for that, um, but before we get into the album itself, why don't you give um, listeners a little history of your history with Husker Du? Because when we were living together and when we yeah. first met, I, it, I, one of the things that I knew about you was you. Uh, well, you love Minneapolis rock because that's where you're from. Yeah. And Husker Du and Bob Mould in particular. So what's your history with uh, Husker Du? Well, you know, there's two major bands. You know, there's what there's a lot of artists came from Minneapolis. You know, you got mm-hmm. Prince, you got Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, I the like sort of alt or like, you know, the rock scene there, you know, you had a lot of good bands come out of it, and the two like you know big front runners were one was a band called The Replacements, who I'm which also we have talked about on the show, yeah, which I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then there's Husker Du, and you know some people are like, "What camp are you in? Do you like this?" Uh, oh, you know, sure. if and if you go back, you know, early re- replacement records are very hardcore too, and then they yeah. were like, "Let's we're sort of just rockers," you know, and they yeah. you know didn't they famously didn't get picked up by the by the record label in uh, Minneapolis Twin Tone. Uh, mm-hmm. And so then they went to SST, and that's done by the dudes like... This is who's crew Yeah, and so that's like mm-hmm. Black Flag, and like, you know, so they were right, in a right. hardcore sort of, you know, yeah. and I just lo- I liked the replacements a lot, and my dad, who used to get me into music, g- gave me uh, a... Husker Du record and it was wasn't this but it was still pretty early and it was pretty hard like I didn't really yeah. like it at first it was sort of jarring yeah you know the you know sometimes I couldn't tell if it was like music you know right. which I'm sure there's moments on here where you're like I can't hear anything because it's so much noise <laughs> yeah and uh 
And then as I got sort of into college and things, I like appreciate it more. And their later stuff is very melodic. It's very, you know, it's really good power pop stuff. And then I went back to, you know, now I'm into them. Let's go back. And then, you know, I was talking to one of my friends about Husker Du, and they're like, did you ever hear Land Speed record? And I had heard about it and heard mm-hmm. that it was intense. And I was like, no. And he was like, yeah, man, it's shit. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, okay. he was like, it's the worst that, like, it's so jarring to listen to. It's not fun. And I think that's a very valid. I disagree. But, like, if right. you're not into this sort of music, it's pretty, like, in your it's face. It's pretty in your face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just recent, recently, like, you know, Grant, you know, the drumming is so intense. And, like, you hear it's, a, the first half is recorded at, at First Avenue 7th Entry, uh, mm-hmm. 7th Street Entry. And, you know, that's so it's like a live show. So they're pretty tight, you know, like, you know, yeah. in sync with each other after. And, you know, a lot of the subject matter is pretty, I mean, the cover is like, you know, if you look it up for those listening at home, but like the cover is, you know, it's his land speed record. And underneath you've got like a general looking over a bunch of like caskets draped in American flag, like after probably... Yeah. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it is pretty hardcore, it is pretty intense, and there's like, it is, the, the, the album kind of art is split, you know, there's the Husker Du land speed record kind of across the middle there, bottom yeah. half is this general looking over, um, like kind of, uh, uh, caskets draped with American flags, and above it are like kids waving American yeah. flags, basically, uh, very much kind of in that um, sphere. Yeah, the only reason why I'm kind of familiar with Husker Du at all is because of you, because you would listen to a lot of, you would play them yeah. in, in the apartment. Uh, not just like records and stuff, but, you know, on the guitar, just like kind of walking around playing like, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I remember you playing, and this is for, uh, this is a sugar song, but I remember you playing uh, If I Can't Change Your Mind a lot on the acoustic guitar. Oh, for sure. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, um, I, you know, I feel, I can't remember what I was going to say, but it was, you know, it's, it, Husker Du, I think, you know, I, I've always been like, I think I'm more in the replacement camps, but every day I'll hear something, Husker Du or whatever, I'm like, fuck, but, you know, I guess I don't need to choose a camp because I love them so much. I saw yeah. Bob Mould last year. It was awesome. Oh, no shit. Yeah, no, so I'm at Riot Fest. And, oh, yeah. you know, I think I might try and catch him, like, on a solo tour, but, you know, it's... It, you know, it's a fast album. It's fast. Yeah. It's very, you know. Yeah. Which is, uh, it is. And I, uh, you did kind of prepare me ahead of time. This is like kind of intense and not similar, to, like kind of a little, somewhat dissimilar to their studio releases. Yeah. Which if I've heard anything by Husker Du, it is their studio releases. Um, and I gotta say, uh, brother, and I hope this comes as a pleasant surprise. Um, well, I, you know, um, I'll just say it. I thought this album fucking rocked. Wow. It was really cool. Okay. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I was... So we talked about um, the album uh, Whitney, the Light, uh, Light Across the Lake. That yeah. Was the Whitney album from 2016 and also the demos from the, the, the year after 2017. Um, and I was a little maso menos on that album. I ended up recommending it anyways. Um, but I really preferred the kind of just like... Uh, and I guess this is just like I, I'm coming to realize this, but just like kind of my my taste is like I really just love stuff that is that has that kind of like uh, an edge to it. It's like kind of nasty and kind of just like weird and messy sounding. And this you you said it uh, at, at the top of the discussion here, but like 
They were on amphetamines. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> like, seems like... Were they on amphetamines for this performance? Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't know necessarily if they were at the time, but, like, you know, I I can't remember. I'm pretty sure. And, like, the thing about also Husker Du, and I think you can appreciate this just mm-hmm. being from the Midwest, sometimes it's mm-hmm. nice to hear the weather and the music a little bit. Yeah, like, you can exactly. tell these people are, are fucking cold, and they have yeah. been. Like, Minnesota, and, like, it's the same in, with bands from here. It's like, they have to deal with that, that lake effect winter. So it's yeah. like, it comes out in a way. Even bands, like, you know, from the South, sometimes you're like, I feel sweaty listening to it because they're sitting in the heat all day, and, like, it's coming out. And I think that's another thing. It's like a, you know, I can imagine myself at, like, if this show were to happen... I'm like, I've got like a winter coat on, you know, like, yeah. or like whatever. I'm rolling up to the show, like, you know, bundled up because it's negative, you know, whatever, but I'm ready to get like. Yeah. Yeah. One of the last things that I did, um, one of the last things I did in 2020 before lockdown happened was actually go to a, was go to a basement show in Ukrainian village. Oh uh, yeah. Even though people were like packed and it was sweaty, people were showing up with yeah, it's cold. winter jackets and you stuff. Got boots yeah, on and there's like. Yeah. You go outside to smoke a cigarette or whatever. You got to have like your jackets and your boots on and shit like that. And it is like, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that's a great point that it's like. At some, you know, I, I do appreciate, uh, and stuff that just, like, gets to just how harsh and miserable, um, the Midwest winters are, um, it does, like, you can't get that if you're, like, uh, a band from California or something, yeah. you know, like, the Eagles don't know a, a Midwest winter, well, Glenn, Fr- Glenn Fry is actually from Michigan, yeah. so, uh, he might actually, but, um, that's not in their music at all, like, I, I think it is, you can hear, like, the kind of, like, uh, when you are, in the Midwest in, you know, December through February or into March before things start to thaw out. And, it, for you know, when you were in a band or something, you were just, like, huddled together, like, just drinking whiskey or, or something, trying your damnedest to stay warm. And one of the ways you do that is just, like, by writing really aggressive and intense music. So just keep that in mind, folks. This is a very aggressive and intense album. But if it's, like, the thing that's interesting is it does, like, kind of, I, I don't know too much about early hardcore or anything, um, but I think that people that do like that would appreciate this, like, kind of early, early, ver- like, kind of early document, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I guess. You know? Yeah, I think also, like, some of the stuff in there, like, they're yelling about sort of, like, they're sort of bored of the hardcore stuff. It's like, I just have to be fast, you know. They're playing yeah. incredibly fast, but then, like, you know, I s- sent you a lot of the other stuff, and, like, you know, it's fast or whatever, and you can see whatever, but it sort of gets a little, like, you know... Their inspiration was, like, the birds. You know, a lot of... You forget yeah. that, like, there was no... At least I, that, that I know, but, you know, there wasn't, like... Before the punk stuff happened, what were they... You know, there wasn't a lot of, like, punk to, like, go off of. So it's, like, you forget they love all these different, you know, bands. And, like, yeah, there's, like... You know, they do an eight miles high cover on like you know they do all sorts of different covers and like. Well, you yeah, you sent me. Uh, so I asked for I asked Max to send me a uh, a playlist just of like kind of a a, a husker a husker do um, kind of primer. And with your permission, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. But one of the show one of the songs that was on this playlist was a cover of "Love Is All Around" the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. It's great. Was, it really is fucking cool. Um, but that you know that. Uh, uh, fun that they you know did that and I when I was doing a little bit of research on the band like they started doing covers of like you know um, yeah they just do covers and stuff like they're really into the Ramones the Ramones I guess would be like the kind of they're like the kind of contemporaries that they you know uh, like one of the only 
the American punk band of some prominence, basically. Yeah, um, and you can tell sort of by, like, their, their quick, you know, their moans were pretty tight, too, in terms of, like, their speed and synced up, and, like, yeah, you can tell they yeah. took that from them, for sure. I mean, you know, there would be, it's hard to, like, say that, like, you know, Husker Du started the hardcore scene in, like, you know, Minneapolis, or I guess propelled it, because there's all these other bands, but, like, this this record is just like a it's a, a moment in history where you're just you know it's a sonic blast in the face of amphetamines right. and like screeching guitars. <laughs> so so let's talk about the album itself proper for a second. Yeah, so I listened to this on Spotify because I am not so privileged just to have it on 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 vinyl here. And when you the album is 26 minutes and 35 seconds long, and when you're listening to it on Spotify. It is delineated across two tracks. Yeah. Um, the first uh, six, I believe, songs, uh, or side one probably, is one track, and then side two uh, is the second track, you know, 12 minutes and 14 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, and when you're listening to it like that, um, you know, you, you, you know, you can't accidentally shuffle and kind of get out of set order here. Um all of the songs just like kind of blend in. and the music just like blend together. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which like they it's they're doing you know basically a song a minute and a full song and you if you know I listened to this album a, a couple times just to like try to like you know pull it apart. I loved it basically from the first minute. Honestly, yeah. I, I hope you'll happy you'll be happy. Oh, to hear I'm very it. happy to hear this. Um, but it took a couple times for me to just like kind of pull apart and find where like the actual uh, the songs actually begun and ended. Um, but that kind like, but delineating the track list was not as important to me as much as just like kind of just listening and just like vibing and just like, I would just like catch myself just like kind of bobbing my head and just like wanting to like, just, just like, Oh no, I have to be professional listening to this album. I just want to get up and like, just kind of thrash around my room (laughs) or something. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's a great album. If like, you know, you're angry and you want to like tap into that in like, I don't know, a productive way. Maybe that's like, whatever, you know, just blast (laughs) this and sort of sit and like absorb it a little bit. Yeah. And like to the you know to the illustration you were making earlier, like imagine just like being in a crowd of just like uh, just like I don't know twenty like somethings or yeah. whatever, like all in your fucking winter coats or whatever, and just like bashing into each other as this as this music was playing. It must have been so fun. Yeah, that and like you know, I, it, the urgency in the album also makes it seem like you know it's very DIY feeling in the sense of like you got one take. Yeah, you have one take for the whole album, and they just sort of yeah. and it's just like and they go. And yep. part of that is because the side, you know, which would be, like, that first track, that's all recorded, like, live. And you can sort of hear, like, you know, I don't know how crowded that show was, but you can hear, like, yeah. faint claps. But, like, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why it's so, like, what's, it's amazing to be like, oh, they were that perfect where, you know, you weren't going to see anything. And you've got, you know, those drum beats are pretty wild by Grant, yeah. you know, Grant Hart, the drummer. And he's singing some songs. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're hearing, and he's like carrying this whole, like, you know, yelling or whatever. And they're a three piece band, you know, and, uh, yeah, which is crazy. And like, I don't know, it sucks. You know, they, they, you know, they broke up. I don't know if, uh, you know, the grant just passed away. Like, you know, I'd say, I think it was like in 2017. 2017. Yeah. yeah. And so there's no chance, you know, of anything, but like. I think we missed out on like something crazy, like you know, to see, to see like a bunch of older, you know, dudes play this older record punks. would have been insane, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, for real, uh, to try to recreate. <laughs> yeah, I think like they, uh, 
I think there was like an art exhibit mm-hmm. because Grant Hart's house famously burnt down and like he was old so he couldn't play the oh, drum really? beat but he like had it was like a weird art exhibit where they put a lot of the stuff he gathered from his fire and I think mm-hmm. like he hired a drummer to just like sort of just only play the drum beats but he, yeah. but the drummer was like this is like not easy like this is not normal yeah. drumming you know just you know, by I, how fast it was I am a big fan of this song I sent it to you I've just been obsessed in listening to it the song uh, Pamphlets by Squid yeah uh, I watched have you seen a live performance of that uh uh-uh. uh so the the singer in that band the primary singer I, I wish I looked up his name but he is actually the drummer as well oh wow and it's kind of yeah and it's kind of crazy to see like uh, his he's able to like because he's doing also some in- insane, intense work in that, and just, like, his control, like, behind the set, and also, the, it's almost, like, kind of disembodied how he can, like, sing and give, like, a really tremendous vocal performance at the same time as he's, like, smashing stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, it is really, I, I'm, like, I'm so impressed when people can, like, you know, play guitar and sing at the same time, even sometimes, you know? Um, but yeah. But to, like, drums, because the drums is, like, a full-body activity. Uh, and you're keeping the beat. You're keeping the, the beat. You, you're multitasking. You've got one hand going at a different speed than another one to emphasize it. And then, like, yeah. you know, I, I've, isn't the drummer from Whitney also the singer? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I guess I don't know. Two different vibes for sure. Two very <laughs> different vibes. Yeah, yeah. I'm more in the the Husker do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more in the I'm more in the Grant. I feel like I'm more on the Grant Hart kind of vibe than the Julian Ehrlich vibe. No, no disrespect to Julian Ehrlich because he is also the drummer for uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra, which is a band that I really really like. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Or he was for a period of time. Uh, back to Land Speed. Uh, yeah, Land Speed record. Yeah, most of my notes for this are is just like uh, fucking fast, very <laughs> then, fast. Yeah, and then it manages to each time that I re-listened to it, I felt like it was getting faster each time that I listened to it. Like just not like 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 not necessarily the set itself was like increasing in speed, but it's like I don't remember it being so quite so intense when I listened had listened to it the prior time. Basically, yeah. Um, it's really, it's, it's pretty remarkable that these guys had their, this much energy. Well, they were like, I don't know, their early 20s or something. Yeah, early like 20s, this. probably excited, you know, I mean, like, the thing is, like, I don't know, there, there's something exciting about, you know, just going up on stage, you know, as a comedian, sort of thrashing around. I mean, I don't do yeah. that as a comedian, but like, you know, I think a lot of how my comedy is shaped is based on like, you know, sort of punk music. I know that sounds weird, right. but like, there's like a... I don't know. There's like an energy behind it, and yeah, explain that energy. Uh, fast, you know. I try fast, you know. I always like. It's hard to explain. I just I how I I write and do things very musically, like you know, and uh, yeah. and how mm-hmm. I whatever, and so I try and like write, sort of like I'm writing a, like a punk song or something in terms of the intensity and the speed and how people respond. Not that, like, all my bits or anything is, like, super fast, but, you know, yeah. it's got that yeah. And, you know, I... Someone said this to me, which I really, uh, you know, I really felt I connected with, is that all uh, all comedians want to do is be rock stars, and all rock stars think they're funny. And so, yeah. and so, like, I think they go hand in hand. I think if I wasn't doing this, I'd be trying to pursue, a, you know, a, right. be a musician, like, a, a music career. Mm-hmm. But I mean, th- that's this is the type of stuff I listen to before shows or anything. Just because, like, I don't know, it f- it gets the blood going in a, like a positive, 
way for me, and I yeah. feel like I I have you know I get in a better mood or something. But and I just recently have implemented this into like you know that not that playlist, but you know in those albums that I'll listen to before things, mm-hmm. just to sort of like you know. Get amped. Like Landspeed Record you're talking about? Yeah, Landspeed Record okay. or, like, mm-hmm. you know, The Bad Brains and things like that. It's just, like, yeah. it's pure energy. And, like, I, I feed off of energy very much. And, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I will say that, like, putting this album on for the – like, when you decided on it, I, I gave it uh, a spin for the first time. I just dropped a Topo Chico uh, bottle cap on my floor. That's uh, okay. Sorry, listeners. Uh, punk, you know, we're keeping it. Yeah. Uh, but I put this on, like – and I saw that it was less than <laughs> – Max just uh, smashed. I'm pretending to mosh by myself. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I like put it on in the middle of like uh, I saw it was less than a half an hour long. Basically, I'm like, okay, like I'll just give this like one spin while I need to be answering some emails for work or something yeah. like, in the middle of an email shift. And man, it really put a lot of pe- energy and like pep into that like kind of just task because I'm just like, yeah, man, nothing. I I just I I can churn these fucking emails out. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and it's interesting that like. You said that this was an album that um, people, like, uh, was it Who's Do fans or, or other folks just, like, kind of don't, you just straight up just don't like. I think like, I saw, I think like, Who's Rolling fans, Stone gave it yeah. two, two stars. Yeah, because it's like, you know, I think, because when I, when you said, like, I needed, when you asked me to, like, make you a playlist of those songs, I thought it was because you didn't like it, and you're like, I'm not getting anything from this. Like, and that's why, I, in order for me to talk about any of, oh, like, no. whatever... <laughs> And so, and I was like, that's a good point. I sort of did throw throw out, like, a sort of Captain Beefheart weird thing to him. And, like, but, like, I'm glad to know you liked it. And I just remember, you know, that one friend of mine who was just, like, it's, like, garbage. And I under, I don't, I don't agree, but I understand if you don't like this sort of music, it's horrific. (laughs) Exactly. And I also think that, like, you know, I I mostly asked for, you know, kind of more context with, with Husker Du and, and the other members because I just yeah. didn't know kind of I didn't know where to start basically and um, you know I kind of wanted to if this is such an atypical thing I kind of wanted to understand why someone could have that intense of a reaction uh, to it and I, I guess I, under, I, I understand it because it's not like um, Husker Du songs aren't particularly like kind of uh, long or, or ornate or anything like it's, 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 it's fast it's thrashy like kind of um, punk music but it's also very close to just like Power pop, yeah, it's like kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very melodic. If you listen exactly, to their stuff, exactly. like you know, mm-hmm. it's the remote, they're great songwriters yeah, and lyricists, incredible. Yeah. And like you know, Zen Arcade is like a concept album, and you know, it's a double LP. And you know, besides the Minutemen, at the time, like that was unheard of. You know, it was who could play right. the fastest, who could do yeah. whatever, and that's fun. And I love that. Obviously, I love this, but you know, as a band, I bet after a while they're like, this sucks. And there's yeah. you know, and it it definitely evolves a lot. And you can see that, and I tried to, when I, like, made that playlist, I tried to put it in an order from, like, this is what, you know, and I think the first song I put was, like, one of the first songs I listened to that I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, the, I think it's a 10-song, 10-song playlist. Again, if, uh, I might just leave it in the, in the show next year. Yeah, but it starts with Everything Falls Apart. And, Um, yeah, and that was the first song by them that I was like, oh, you know, because I had only mm. heard, you know, off that album, there's a lot of these faster songs, too. And yeah. then, but on that same album, they cover Sunshine Superman by... by no shit, by Donovan? By Donovan, you know. Okay. So it's like, yeah. it's the, it's pretty fast, and right. but it's pretty good, you know. Yeah. It's a fun version of it. Um, and then I just got hooked. But 
as you can see their career, like, you know, it goes off and, like, yeah, yeah. evolves. I will say, I was I was really liking listening to... Uh, Cycling through the husk, the the Husker uh, play, the Husker rather uh, playlist that you gave me uh, today, for one reason or another, uh, the song "Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely" was really hitting me. Uh, <laughs> I put that song on repeat a lot today. Um, so be on the lookout, listen to that one, folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really appreciated this album. I don't. I, I can. If I can remind myself that it exists, I can see myself coming back to it, honestly. Um, yeah. To, like, uh, just as, like, something to have if I needed, like, just a little um, extra pep. Because it does, um, you know, we talked about uh, Grant Hart, but also um, uh, I, I just wrote, uh, this is not a very helpful note, but Bob Mould's guitar solo, Nine Minute Mark, I think in the first, I don't know what song I was in the middle of. Yeah. Um, but on the first, like, kind of side of this, um, he's just, like, this really ripping, like, just kind of guitar here. Um, it is crazy that they they did manage to, um, despite the kind of chaos of the album, like f- like feel still like cohesive as a band and like kind of as a um, at least in this in this record feel cohesive as like kind of a, a project and a performance. Oh yeah, I mean, it's I think it, it's I feel like sometimes I bet they nailed these songs down and then like you know sometimes it, you know every once in a while you'll go see a band and they've been playing a song for a while you know and they yeah. sort of so they're sort of playing it like at a different tempo you ever like notice that and I bet that just happened mm-hmm. here like by the time you know they probably wrote them they're a little slower I can't imagine so much but like towards that last show because I think they recorded it as their last like it was their last show of that tour so they mm-hmm. by then they were just like you know going off Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I will go into that a little bit in the fa- in the fast facts here. Uh, uh, anything else before we get into those fast facts? By the way, no. You know, I just I recommend. You know, I know we'll talk. A, I bet we'll. I won't. Are we gonna like recommend or whatever? Like, yeah, we'll we, same. So we'll right, get to right. that. But like, yeah. I'm just glad I was able to sort of give this. I think this album deserves love. I think mm-hmm. it deserves. You know, it should be on everyone's shelf. If you if you're really into rock <laughs> music, and I'll tell you if I recommend it once we go after the fast facts. Gotcha. All right, so here we go. Uh, fast facts for uh, Husker Du and Land Speed Record. Uh, forming in 1979, the band that would come to be known as Husker Du first formed um, at, uh, first formed uh, with Bob Mould on vocals and guitar. When first formed, rather, when Bob Mould on, um, I'm going to take get a clean take of this. <clears throat> so here's some fast facts for uh, the band Husker Du and the album Land Speed Record. Uh, forming in 1979, the band that would come to be known as Husker Du. Uh, uh, happened as it did uh, when Bob Mould uh, met Grant Hart uh, when the former was a freshman at McAllister College and the latter was a sales clerk at a local record store. They enlisted Greg Norton um, and keyboardist Charlie Pine to form Buddy and the Return Tables. After deciding that keyboards weren't the move, Mould, Hart, and Norton started practicing and recording without Pine, kicking him out of the band on March 30th, 1979 to continue under their new name. Uh, Mold has written that he considers the band. Mold has written that he considers the band's first real gig to have been May seventeenth, nineteen eighty, at the renowned punk club Jay's Langhorn Bar. Jay's Langhorn Bar. Uh, the name Husker Du is a reference to popular seventies memory game, game Husker Du, which means "Do you remember?" in Dutch and Norwegian. Uh, the band added the umlauts to set them apart from other punk bands with names such as, quote, Social Red Youth Dynasty Brigade Distortion, unquote, and to call to mind contemporary heavy metal acts as well. 
After a series of recordings on the independent label SST Records, as Max mentioned, in 1986 they signed with Warner Brothers Records, but found only modest criminal, uh, sorry, commercial success. Uh, however, they were later often cited as key influences on uh, 90s alternative rock bands, including Nirvana and the Pixies. Uh, Landspeed Record is the debut full-length record by Husker Du, released in January 1982. It was actually recorded live on August 15, 1981, on, at the Seventh Street entry of venue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, August in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis probably mild, probably a lot of shorts yeah. thrashing around. Still very sweaty, though. Still, Still very, very sweaty. sweaty yeah, a lot of body, yeah. Yeah, a lot and of it's body dry. getting exchanged. <laughs> well, mi- well, the thing is, is Minnesota is it gets pretty dry. I feel during the summer. Oh, interesting. so like okay. I, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of humidity. You know, yeah. So I yeah, think that yeah, definitely yeah. played a part of it. Definitely, uh, definitely. I, I still think everything we said about it being a very harsh oh, yeah. and cold record fits. Uh, you you can't do that if you're not if you have no context for it. In any case, yeah. the album is a fast and furious hardcore workout that bears almost no resemblance to the melodic post hardcore that the band became known for in the mid '80s. This is all lifted from Wikipedia. The title has a double meaning, referring uh, to both the band's ability to play as fast as they could. There are 17 songs crammed into 26 and a half minutes, and their penchant for amphetamine films, uh, pills rather. Uh, the concert was straight uh, recorded straight to a four-track soundboard tape on a $300 budget. Once the band had taped it, they realized they lacked the financial means to release an album until friend of the band and member of Minuteman, Mike Watt, offered to put out the album on his label New Alliance. The original LP on New Alliance contained an insert with lyrics and upcoming tour dates. The album got a European release on Alternative Tentacles in the UK, and the album was reissued in 1987 on SST Records on Compact Disc and LP. Uh, like Husker Du, other release, like Husker Du's other releases, Landspeed Record has not been remastered to alter the LP sound for the Compact Disc disc release. Citation needed, unfortunately, on that, but it's on Wikipedia, so what are you going to do? The band's ongoing royalty disputes with SST have been given as the cause for not having a unique CD edition issued, also citations needed. Ken Shipley of the Numero Group has noted that the original tape was stolen from the band's van. The SST CD contains only two tracks, one for each side of the original LP. Bob Mould once referred to it as the bad part of the acid. It sounds like when you uh, go to a gig and get your ears blown off. Nevertheless, a poster of the album's cover art appeared in the 1987 film Less Than Zero. Uh, Husker Du released seven studio albums, four EPs, and two live albums, and then broke up acrimoniously in the late 80s amid members' drug abuse, personal problems, dispute over songwriting credits, musical direction, and the unfortunate suicide of the band's manager, David Savoy. Uh, Mold went solo for a while and then formed the band Sugar in the early 90s before and remaining a sol- uh, before going and remaining a solo act in 1996. Uh, Grant Hart similarly went solo. Grant Hart similarly went solo in the immediate breakup before forming the band Nova Mob in 1989 and keeping it formed until 1997. Uh, do what can you tell me about Nova Mob, Max? You know, the thing is, is Nova Mob like I feel like I never I never really got into Nova Mob. Uh, I think even like you know. I, you know, well, what's their like music sound? Like it's their, sort of the same like, thing. Like? like you know, okay. it's it's okay. you know, based on what I've listened to, you know, I ran in. I once bumped into Grant Hart, and that was really. Oh yeah, the thing is, is you know, he's from St. Paul, and like, mm. and you know, he had he was at a place uh, called Cheapo Records. Which, like, you okay. know, they used to work at and, uh, you know, the band would rehearse in the basement of. But he had these insane, like, purple, you know, 
he had, you know, these suspenders on, but he, I just remember mainly these huge purple leather shoes mm. that were like snakeskin, but almost looked painted, but whatever. But it's insane. But Nova Mob, they weren't a commercial success that I'm aware of. Gotcha. Uh, but, I, you know, and you can, I don't even know if you can find their stuff online. Like, you could find oh, it on YouTube, okay. but I don't know if they'd be on any streaming stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. That. Uh, some more fast facts here. Uh, Art, uh, Hart and Mold would take jabs at each other in the music press until Grant's unti- uh, Grant Hart's untimely death in 2017 at the age of 56 due to complications from liver cancer and hepatitis C. Uh, bless up, Chef. We miss you. Uh, the two briefly revisited their Husker Du catalog together in, 2000, in a 2004 benefit concert for Ailing Friend, the late Carl Mueller of Soul Asylum. Uh, Norton would form the band Gray Area with Husker Du engineer and former member of the fine, of fine art Colin Mansfield, as well as Joe Jones. After Gray Area disbanded in 1991, Norton left the music business to focus on the restaurant business, opening the Norton's Restaurant, now closed, in Red Wing, Minnesota. Norton re- returned to the recording industry in 2006 with a new avant jazz band, uh, Gangfront, featuring Interloper. Uh, new avant jazz band, Gangfront, featuring Interloper. Uh, the group is composed of Norton, Dave King of the Bad Plus, Happy Apple, Halloween, Alaska, Twelve Rods, and Love and the Love Cars. Any of those projects mean anything to you? No. Heard the name Dave King? Yeah. No. Bad Plus, I think I saw on the shelf at the library at some point. Uh, Eric Fratsky of Zebulon Pike and Happy Apple. Uh, as well as Craig Taborn. Uh, in 2016, Norton joined Lacrosse, Wisconsin band Porcupine as their bass player to replace Davey uh, Reinders. Reinders, I don't know. Uh, Husker Du was honored with a star on the outside mural of Minneapolis nightclub First Avenue. Uh, the stars recognize performers that have played out sold out shows there or, or who have otherwise demonstrated a major contribution to the culture. Uh, at the iconic venue, receiving a star might be the most prestigious public honor an artist can receive in Minneapolis, according to journalist Steve Marsh. Max, what are some of your memories of going to First Avenue? Um, have you seen any acts there? Yeah. Uh, did you go fairly frequently? Uh, how often did you go? You know, you I was I didn't go like a ton, but like my dad used to play there with his bands, and like I had friends who played the Seventh Street entry. So there's the main room, and then there's the Seventh Street. And mm-hmm. the Seventh Street entry, Seventh Street entry, it's pretty. You walk in, it's like a, you know, it's the black box theater of venues, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Bar sure, to the sure. side, stage is right there, you know. And it's the main Donnie Skybox. <laughs> yeah, it is sort of just like you know, it's great, you know. And uh, I think a lot of artists earn their chops in there, you know. I think that's usually sure. where like a lot of you know. And then I've seen two shows in the main room. I, I saw they might be giants. That was my first show there. Uh, oh, nice. It was great, you know, the the venues, you know, iconic, you know, and then I saw a band called, a group called The Suburbs, which is a Minneapolis band, sort of mm. around, you know, this time, they're a little more on the artsy side, sort okay. of new wave, but, mm, uh, okay. you know, it's a great place, and it's iconic, you know, there's stars everywhere, they just, you know, it, Prince, it was, you know, for a long time it was going to be demolished, but Prince pretty much saved it by, you know, it's in the background in Purple Rain. And that was yeah. like the argument of why it shouldn't, you know, print. It's like landmark status. Yeah. Well, it, I think they filmed a lot at, of, of and, and, and I think they shot a lot of Purple Rain at the actual location. Yeah. I, I've never been there, but um, it's it's an integral. <laughs> uh, the concert venue is a character in the film. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so I think like that movie definitely helped it. And, you know, even. I think there's now there's only one gold star on there. So, like, you know, there's all the stars, and it's Prince. Sure. So, like, 
you know, they're up there. I'm pretty sure Bob and Grant both have separate stars themselves. Uh, oh, you know. like separate from... So from there's the, like Husker the Du. They could have yeah. then like both their separate, you know, stars. Because they, you know, that was sort of the thing. I feel like, you know, they always play, you know, there. Or they would. Right. Um, but I love First Ave. It's great. And like, you know, I'm excited for it to get back open. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, my Mercedes Valuable Player. Um, a couple weeks ago, actually, we covered the album Nature of Things, which I've shown you recently. Yeah. Uh, and my Mercedes Valuable Player for that was um, playing in a band with your friends. Uh, so I'm going to modify that slightly for this uh, record here. For Landspeed Record, uh, my Mercedes Valuable Player is playing very fast music with uh, your worst enemies. So <laughs> Yeah, towards the end, it's sad. They yeah. definitely, like... You know, there's that famous clip of them asking Grant if there'll be uh, ever a Husker Du reunion, and he said there will be in federal court. Like, you know, uh, you know, or and it will be in wow. court. okay. You know, yeah. and I'll send it to you. There's a question I'm sure that everybody's been asking you as you came in tonight into the club, and that was the possibility, and you can clear this up right now, of a reunion between Husker Du. There is going to be a reunion of Husker Du. There is? Yeah. And can you tell and us a little bit about that? It'll be in federal court. But uh, uh, my most valuable player to uh, this is um, it's, you know, even though it's it's just my, I think it's my buddy who said this album wasn't good. And, you yeah. know, not to bash him or anything, and I, uh, won't, I won't name him because I don't even know, like, you know, we're, but because it's sort of like, you know, I didn't take it personally, but I was like, I got to see if this whatever. And I think without that, I wouldn't have come to love it. Uh, gotcha. Instead, and not in the like, I like it. It's weird. I just I enjoy it. Uh, gotcha. You know, so that's my MVP. Hell, is 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 liking something? Uh, for yeah, spite. I guess is liking. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, not for spite, not for spite, but, but it could come off that way, and right. uh, you know, and being open to new things. You know. Hey. Yeah. That's very. Yeah. That's what. That is what I'm all about, brother. Uh, I at the end of the day, though. Um, I am going to give this one, as much as I personally like it a lot, I don't know if I would recommend it to each and every person that I encountered on the street. <laughs> oh, for sure. See, you know, I can very much see this as being a, uh, if, if you don't like things being, like, uh, harsh or fast or kind of incomprehensible, not quite your speed, but if you like fast music that makes you, that, like, helps you get your aggression out, very much, I think, would be in your wheelhouse. So I'm going to give this one a conditional recommend, the condition being, you know, you might, it's more for, like, the kind of hardcore crowd, basically. Um, how do you, where do you land on this one, Max? I, you know, it's so funny, Mason. I say the exact same thing. I love this album. Uh, it's incredible. But, like, you're not going to like it if this isn't the type of music you like. That's fine. Nice. That's nothing I can help. That's so, you know, I can't persuade and be like, actually, though, like, give it a shot. Like, you know, because right. there are right. some right. friends that, like, I just know. I, you know, I could never, our friend Annie, I could never be like, Annie, like, do you get around to liking this? No. You know, yeah. she'd be like, no, it gives me anxiety. And I'm like, yeah. And so I conditionally. <laughs> yeah, why do you think I recommended it to you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I conditionally also would recommend this. If you are someone who loves high energy, uh, it's, you know, into fast things and waking up, you know, mm. you, you trying to figure out an alternative to coffee, this is your album, uh, gotcha. you know, yeah. and, and if you're into punk and you want to get, you know, deeper, if you're a fan of the Husker camp, listen, but if not, that's okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, brother, I think that brings us to the end of the show here. Oh my goodness. 
I've, you did it. I've been so honored to be on this. We've done we've done a podcast. Uh, now is the time that everybody loves, which is when you get to um, get off some plugs. So, uh, where are you at? Where can the folks find you? Uh, what would you like to share? Um, all you. Um, well, you know, I would say come see Ho- the Holy Fuck Comedy Hour at uh, the Annoyance at midnight. Uh, but with I don't know if that's coming back. So TBD. Uh, you can follow me on okay. uh, Twitter at, at Max Lazarine. I, there's a parody account I made that I'm locked out of and I can't, so people, you know, will probably follow that too. <laughs> I made a dumb joke and I it was funny for ten seconds and I forgot. So now there's just another Max Lazarine. If I was in a '90s sitcom, is what that was. So don't follow <laughs> at '90s Max Lazarine. Uh, and then the same thing with Instagram. I did like a funny nerdy vinyl guy. I tried to do. And that's at Max Laserspin Records. Don't follow that one. Follow no. at Max Lazarine. And, you know, the last thing I'd like to plug is, you know, call your family and just say hi and check there on them. Because, uh, you, you know, even if it's just a quick hello. Yeah. Well, uh, that is, those are some sweet plugs. I will put the correct, correct handles in the episode description, folks, where you can find Max. Uh, you can find me, Mason, uh, on the Bar and a Podcast about the Shield. Um, again, getting very close to wrapping up with that, but I'm there, and that will be uh, my kind of one of my you know my first ever podcast. So I'm there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Hot Dog I am on Letterboxd under my name. Uh, I'm also on the streets of Chicago on a nice day, walking around. Uh, so say true. hi if you see me. Um, and other than that, you know, I think that I will just now, uh, with nothing else that I really want to plug, or, oh, uh, I can wait on that one, actually. Uh, with nothing else that I really want to plug, I will just end the show like we always do by saying, um, fuck the cops, fuck the president, black lives matter, black trans lives matter, um, but aside from that, uh, that energy, do go out and tell someone that you love them this week, friend, neighbor, uh, family member. Tell them you love them this week, and we will see you all, folks, uh, next time. What a way to end it.
going to be a reunion of... It's on the list with Noah and Mason. It'll be in federal court. 